15. Sis continued without interruption for hours and hours. This may sound as if the spectacle was monotonous, but such is not the case. On the contrary, there is a certain fascination in the regular, rhythmical movement from side to side like the double pendulum of some gigantic, unseen clock. The shaman specially captivates the attention of the observer, being the very incarnation of enthusiasm. He swings his rattle with energy and conviction, as if bent on rousing the gods out of their indifference, while he stamps his right foot on the ground to add weight to the words, which he pours forth in a loud, resonant voice from his wide-open mouth. Although the Tarahumir, as a rule, has a harsh and not very powerful singing voice, still there are some noteworthy exceptions, and the airs of the Rutuberi songs are quite pleasing to the ear. These, as all their dancing songs, are of great antiquity and strangely enchanting. Rutuberi dance, in flowers is jaltomate, in flow er stands up, in flower stands up getting ripe, getting ripe, root to berry dance, raya bo via miles via miles ru raya bo on the ridge yon deer, yon deer on the ridge be mokeo raya bo be mokeo, fog on the ridge fog, the water is near, fog is resting on the mountain and on the mesa, the bluebird sings and whirs in the trees, and the male woodpecker is calling on the lano, where the fog is rising, the large swift is making his dashes through the evening air, the rains are close at hand, when the swift is darting through the air he makes his whizzing, humming noise. The blue squirrel ascends the tree and whistles. The plants will be growing and the fruit will be ripening. And when it is ripe it falls to the ground. It falls because it is so ripe. The flowers are standing up, waving in the wind. The turkey is playing, and the eagle is calling. Therefore, the time of rains will soon set in. In the wet season, when the rabbits are about, the shamans sing of the rabbit. In winter time they sing of the giant woodpecker, and in harvest time, when the people begin to make merry, they sing of the blackbird. The umeri was learned from the deer. According to tradition it is the oldest dance. At the hour pointed, the shaman, facing the cross and the east, here, too, opens the proceedings by shaking his rattle to both sides to notify the gods. Then he begins to walk around the cross, humming a song and marching in time to the rattle which he now swings down and up. He makes the ceremonial circuit, stopping at each cardinal point for a few seconds. After this he begins his dance, and the rest of the assemblage gradually join in. The dance consists in short walks, forward and backward, with lockstep, the men being arrayed in line on both sides of the shaman, their eyes fixed on the ground, their elbows touching. In this way they swing to and fro, generally describing a curve around the cross, or, sometimes, forming a circle against the apparent movement of the sun. The women dance in a similar way, in a course of their own behind the men, but they frequently break ranks, jumping forward and backward with movements wholly devoid of grace. When the dance goes in a circle, the women move with the sun. The tones marked with the accent in each of the following Umeri songs are grunts. The Umeri songs tell that the cricket wants to dance, the frog wants to dance and jump, and the blue heron wants to fish, the goat sucker is dancing. So is the turtle, and the gray fox is whistling, but it is characteristic of the Umeri songs that they generally consist only of an unintelligible jargon, or, rather, of a mere succession of vocables, which the dancers murmur, and like the berry, the Umeri soon becomes tiresome, in spite of its greater animation, yet the spectacle has something weird in it, especially when seen by the fitful flicker of the fire, which throws a fantastic light upon the grotesque figures.
like goblins moving about on the same space. Many mothers carry their sleeping infants on their backs. Sometimes, the blanket which supports the baby loosens, and the little thing hangs half out of it, following every movement of the parent. At most feasts both these dances are performed, and the Indians themselves consider them to have the same general purpose. If island therefore, not easy to see the relation of the two dances to each other. Rutuberry is the more serious dance, and is more efficacious than you marry, though the latter, of course, has its own special value, for instance, it expresses a prayer that the shaman may have strength to cure, in you marry, all sing and dance, and very frequently all the performers are drunk, while during the former dance absolute decorum is observed, both dances are for the sun and the moon Rutuberry, in order to call them down, you marry, to dispatch them, therefore, the usual dancing feasts commence with Rutuberry, when the function is about to be concluded, an hour or two before sunrise, you marry is commenced, and leads over to the second part of the festival, the eating and drinking, after this, you marry may be continued throughout the day, while the Indians get drunk, Rutuberry is also danced at Thanksgiving for the harvest, while on such occasions you marry asks for a good year to come, then, again, Rutuberry may be danced throughout the day, and you marry at night, but generally the former dance commences soon after sunset. On one occasion, while I was waiting for the performance to begin, the son of the house, in answer to my query, plumped to the sky, and told me that the dance would not commence until the Pleiades reached a certain spot in the heavens, which I calculated to mean about eleven o'clock. This indicated that the stars had some connection with the dancing. At the break of dawn busy hands begin to get everything ready for the great ceremony of the sacrifice. For several days the women of the household and their friends have been making tortillas and boiling beans and tamales small quantities of insulted ground corn, wrapped and boiled in corn husks. An animal was killed on the preceding day, and the meat has been boiling without salt in large jars all day and all night. Tadidios does not like bones, therefore no bones are cooked with this meat. Several of the women have been dividing their time between dancing and watching the food supply. To guard it against mishap from any source, a blanket is spread underneath, just to the west of the cross, or the three crosses, as the case may be, and on it in a line they place the jars of tesvino, behind these are set three small earthenware bowls filled with the stringy mass of the meat, then come three baskets of tortillas, and finally three little jars with wooden spoons in each are brought on and put in their proper places behind the rest of the food, the latter vessels contain medicines to be taken, for the welfare of the people is looked after from every point of view, in the meantime the dancing goes on with a diminished force, nearly every night during the dry season, for nobody knows how many centuries, the morning star has been looking down upon his sons, the Tarahumers, as they dance in the heart of the Sierra, casting his last rays upon the weird scene around their dying fires before he flees from the approaching keeper of the day. Just before the first beam of the rosy light announces the coming of Father Sunday the dancing ceases, and the rebels are added to the sacrificial offerings on the blanket. Everybody now is ready to do homage to the deity about to appear above the horizon. The shaman greets him with the words, Behold, Nanorugami is coming, and then solemnly proceeds toward the cross, while the people form a line behind him and preserve a respectful silence throughout the ensuing ceremony. He fills a large drinking gourd with tesvino, and, holding it in his left hand, throws a small dipper full of the liquor with his right hand into the air, three times to each cardinal point, making the ceremonial circuit, 
Then the meat and the tortillas are sacrificed in the following way, the shaman takes up from the ground the vessel in front of him, and lifts it three times toward heaven. Then with his fingers he takes up a little meat, offers it to the cross with the word, koa, eat, and throws it up into the air. Next he breaks off a small piece of tortilla, and repeats the same ceremony. Thus he sacrifices to all the cardinal points. The two assistants of the shaman follow their principle in every act he performs. The solemnity of the scene is by no means impaired by the numerous dogs, which are gathering to see what they can snatch up. Of course, the people drive them away, but in the end they always get none or Udami's share of the food, while the god is supposed to eat only the nourishing substance. What is left in the jars or bowls after the sacrifice is placed back on the blanket under the cross. The broth of the meat, too, is sacrificed, and so is the blood of the animal that has been killed for the feast. Whenever the shaman returns to the people after performing the sacrifice, he says, This was done on behalf of Nanorogami, and all the people respond, Matetrava, Matetrava, Kalahupo, thank you, thank you, it is all right. When the gods have had their share of the tesmino and the food, the curing begins. The medicines are cold infusions of different medicinal plants. The shaman standing directly in front of the middle cross, takes up the jar containing the chief medicine. Palo Hediondo, his assistant to the north takes up the bowl containing a root called Onoa, and the one on the south Magay water. After having duly sacrificed to the gods, the great shaman himself takes three spoonfuls of the medicine and gives the same quantity to his assistant to the north, who in turn first takes his remedy and then gives some to the shaman. In the same way the latter exchanges with his assistant to the south, and then the two assistants exchange remedies. The bowls are then handed by the shaman to the owner of the house, who in turn passes them on to the first man in the row, and from him they go from hand to hand to the last man in the line, each man taking three spoonfuls out of each bowl, while each of the women gets four. The man who drinks last gives the bowls back to the owner of the house, who in turn hands them to the shaman, who puts them back on the blanket underneath the cross. Meanwhile the incense burners have been filled with hot coals, on which the shaman now throws some copal, the smoke of which he waves over all the people. He, as well as the other men, open their blankets a little to get the smoke on their bodies. This finishes the curing act, and now a speech is made. At private festivals the shaman is the orator of the occasion, but at communal or tribal festivals the gobernator is expected to, and generally does, perform this part of the proceedings. Rhetoric is one of the accomplishments of the Tarahumers, though it is not to be judged in accordance with the white man's standard. Here is a speech made by the gobernator at the end of one of the feasts I witnessed, listen to me. Stand up in a row and listen to what I have to tell you. All of you stand up in line, men, women and children, because I am going to give you my words, to present to you the words which the one above bids me to tell you, now all is over, we have done something good to Teradios, and he has given you life to dance, and now he is giving you life for another year, all of you will have to make feasts like this, you have no experience, therefore listen to me and hear what I have to tell you, if you do not believe what I am telling you, the devil will carry you off, you all are inexperienced, all of you who are standing here in a row around, be quiet, and do all your business quietly, drink quietly, talk quietly, sing quietly, and do not fight, because if in the fight you kill somebody, what will you have afterward? Nothing but sorrow and sadness. The one who is above us bids me to tell you, to say to all of you, men, women, and children, 
that this water, this test we know that we are drinking is what makes us lose our heads, you know it all, and the one above knows that this is the truth that I am telling you, don't fight, don't pull each other's hair, don't beat anyone in the face until he bleeds, for the blood and the hair belong to Tadadios, and you pull his hair and shed his blood, drink Tesvino to your heart's content, get much drunk, but then lie down and sleep, and in the morning you return to your homes without coming to blows with anyone, all the time the speech is punctuated with expressions of approval, and at the end they all say, Matetrava, Matetrava, Kalahupo, thank you, thank you it is all right, a speech is also often made in the beginning of the feast, when much the same sentiments are expressed, the orator tells the people to follow the good example of the host, that sacrificing and dancing may go on here, there, and everywhere, so that the gods will get plenty to eat and grant the prayers of the Tarahumers. He strongly admonishes them to keep away from women, as otherwise the value of the feast would be lost. This day belongs to Taradios, and nothing else is to be thought of. If anyone transgresses this command, he will have to give an ox or a sheep and tesvino to make the feast all over again, while the dancing and singing, sacrificing and speech-making, are going on, the people behave with decorous solemnity and formality, the ceremonies are never interrupted by unseemly conduct, everybody deports himself with grave sobriety, and refrains from loud talking and laughing and from making any disrespectful noise, but after the gods have been given their share, the people go in no less energetically, for enjoying themselves. Food and tesvino are never distributed by the same man, nor are men and women waited on by the same functionary, in other words, one man is appointed for each sex, to dispense the tesvino, and to others to serve the food, they eat but little of the solids, as it is customary for the guests to take home their portions, the women bringing jars and baskets along for the purpose, little or nothing of the tesvino is spared, and it is the avowed intention and aim of everybody to get a beautiful intoxication. They all like to get drunk. An Indian explained to me that the drunken people weep with delight, because they are so perfectly happy. Every Tarahumir has in his heart a cross which Tadadios placed there long, long ago. And this cross they respect. When drunk they remember Tadadios better. At their feasts they sit alongside of him and drink with him. The women sit alongside of the moon and remember ancient times. But unfortunately this blissful stage of their intoxication does not last long and then the animal nature in them manifests itself. Under the influence of the liquor, men and women rapidly lose that bashfulness and modesty which in ordinary life are such characteristic traits of their deportment. Furthermore, whatever grudge one man may have against another now crops out, and very likely a fight will ensue, in which the two opponents recklessly pull each other's hair and punch each other's faces. Sometimes in such an outbreak of unreasoning animalism one of the combatants will seize a stone and batter the other one's head to crush it. Afterward, when sober again, the murderer may deeply deplore his deed if he remembers it at all. Mothers, when overcome by the spirit of the feast, may unawares allow their babies to fall out of the blankets and into the fire. Children may frequently be seen with bruises and scars which they carry as mementos of some Tesvino feast. I know one man who had no hair on one side of his head having when a child been a victim of such an accident, but seldom, if ever, is a child allowed to become fatally injured, taking it all in all, it is a good-natured, jolly, silly crowd, out for a good time and enjoying themselves, all are good friends, and familiarity becomes unlimited, late in the afternoon those still able to walk start on their way home, rarely, however, 
can they reach their domiciles, if these are any distance off, before nature enforces her rights, and the track is strewn with men and women, who, overcome with the effects of their spree, have lain down wherever they happen to be, to sleep themselves sober. Tarahumir society has not yet advanced far enough to see anything disgraceful in debauches of this kind, which, if viewed from their standpoint, are pro bono publico, and we ourselves need go back only to our grandfather's and great-grandfather's time to find that inebriety was not at all inconsistent with good morals and high standing. Moreover, no matter how often the Tarahumirs indulge in such Saturnalia, as soon as they recover their senses they are as decorous and solemn as ever. Their native stimulant does not seem to affect either their physical or their mental faculties, and, all scientific theories to the contrary, their children are strong, healthy, and bright. Aside from social and religious considerations, the drinking of Tesvino is a vital factor in the national life of the tribe, incredible as it may sound, yet, after prolonged and careful research into this interesting psychological problem, I do not hesitate to state that in the ordinary course of his existence the uncivilized Tarahumir is too bashful and modest to enforce his matrimonial rights and privileges, and that by means of Tesvino chiefly the race is kept alive and increasing. It is especially at the feasts connected with the agricultural work that sexual promiscuity takes place. A large gathering is not necessary in order to pray to the gods by dancing. Sometimes the family dances alone, the father teaching the boys. While doing agricultural work, the Indians often depute one man to dance you marry near the house, while the others attend to the work in the fields. It is a curious sight to see a low man taking his devotional exercise to the tune of his rattle in front of an apparently deserted dwelling. The lonely worshipper is doing his share of the general work by bringing down the fructifying rain and by warding off disaster, while the rest of the family and their friends plant, hoe, weed, or harvest, in the evening. When they return from the field, they may join him for a little while, but often he goes on alone, dancing all night, and singing himself hoarse, and the Indians told me that this is the very hardest kind of work, and exhausting even to them. Solitary worship is also observed by men who go out hunting deer or squirrels for a communal feast. Every one of them dances you marry alone in front of his house for two hours to ensure success on the hunt. And when putting corn to sprout for the making of Tesvino the owner of the house dances for a while, that the corn may sprout well, in certain parts of the country, near a Boreatic. For instance, a dance called Valixiwami is in vogue. Here the line of the women faces that of the men, and the two rows dance backward and forward, following each other all the time. In a dance called Kuvali, which is found still further south, the movements are the same as in the dance just mentioned, but the steps are different. It is danced for the same reason as Rutuberry Island and it makes the grass and the fungi grow and the deer and the rabbits multiply. This is the only dance known to the Tekawans. In the winter they dance for snow. A dance called Yoi, and finally there is a dance called Aina, which calls the clouds from the north and south that they may clash and produce rain. I was present at feasts in which four of these dances were performed, and the order in which they followed each other was, Rutuberry, Yumeri, Valixiwami. Kuvali. According to a one version of the tradition, both Yumeri and Rutuberi were once men who taught the Tarahumirs to dance and sing. They live with Father Sunday Valixiwami and Kuvali were also men and companions of the former, but much younger, at certain feasts for the benefit of the moon. Three cigarettes are offered under the cross. The shaman takes one of them, gives a puff, raising the cigarette at the same time upward toward the moon and saying, 
Sva, Rise, Vani, Yonder, Ripa, Upward. This is repeated three times. The master of the house and his wife do the same. The ceremony is performed in order to help the moon to make clouds. Now all present may smoke. The Tarahuir never smokes in the middle of the day, he would offend the sun by so doing. He indulges in the weed, mostly at feasts when drunk. When an Indian offers another man tobacco and a dry corn leaf to roll his cigarette it is a sign that everything is well between them. Every year between March and May a large performance takes place on a special patio in the woods. Its purpose is to cure or prevent disease. And much tesvino is consumed. A straw man, about two feet high, dressed in cotton drawers, and with a handkerchief tied around its head is set up next to the cross. It represents Father Sunday and the cross is his wife. The moon. Sometimes a stuffer can much ikakamistal. Vassariskus is used either in the place of a straw man or in addition to it. After the feast is over, the mannequin is taken to the place from which the straw was obtained, in order to make the grass grow. The Christian Tarahumers keep it in the sacristy of their church. The latter also celebrate Christmas, and on this occasion some of them, the so-called Matachins, paint their faces and carry on their backs stuffed animals, such as the gray fox, squirtle, or opossum, while dancing to the music of the violin. They jokingly call the skins their machacitos and hold them as women carry their babies. At present the only object is to make the beholder laugh, but of course the play is a remnant of some ancient custom, the meaning of which is now forgotten through the new associations with which the missionaries of old imbued the ceremonies and rites found among the pagans. A similar suggestion of antiquity is unmistakably embodied in the deer masks, as well as in the heads with antlers attached, which the same men also may wear. During Easter week live rattlesnakes are carried about but the heads of the rectals are tied together so that they can do no harm. One man may have as many as four serpents with him. Chapter XIX Plan Worship Hickley Internal and External Effects Hickley Both Man and God How the Tarahumers Obtain the Plant And Where They Keep It The Tarahumer Hickley Feast Musical Instruments Hickley Likes Noise The Dance Hickley's Departure In The Morning Other Kinds of Cacti Worshipped Dr. Rubio The Great Hickley Expert The Age of Hickley Worship To The Indian Everything in nature is alive. Plants, like human beings, have souls. Otherwise they could not live and grow. Many are supposed to talk and sing and to feel joy and pain. For instance, when in winter the pine trees are stiff with cold, they weep and pray to the sun to shine and make them warm. When angered or insulted, the plants take their revenge. Those that are supposed to possess curative powers are venerated. This fact, however, does not save them from being cut into pieces and steeped in water, which the people afterward drink or use in washing themselves. The mere fragrance of the lily is supposed to cure sickness and to drive off sorcery. In invoking the lily's help the shaman utters a prayer like this, Sumatioki Livius of Arikochini Sarova, beautiful this morning in bloom lily thou guard me. Wami Namalikiyushojitsuamikiopshaloya drive them away those who make sorcery. Thou make me grow old. Chilai Bevati Sola Chapin Lava Thou give me walking stick to take up in old age Remed Lava So that I may find Thanks exhale fragrance while Irova Standing Beautiful Lily In bloom this morning Guard me Drive away sorcery Make me grow old Let me reach the age at which I have to take up a walking stick I thank thee for exhaling my fragrance there Where thou art standing High mental qualities are ascribed especially to all species of mammillaria and echinocactus, small cacti, for which a regular cult is instituted. The Tarahumers designate several varieties as hickory, 
though the name belongs properly only to the kind most commonly used by them. These plants live for months after they have been rooted up, and the eating of them causes a state of ecstasy. They are therefore considered demigods, who have to be treated with great reverence, and to whom sacrifices have to be offered. The principal kinds thus distinguished are known to science as Lockhoffer Williamsy and Lockhoffer Williamsy. Var. Luinii. In the United States they are called mescal buttons, and in Mexico peyote. The Tarahumers speak of them as the superior hickory hickory one aim, or simply hickory, they being the hickory par excellence. The Waikal Indians, who live many hundred miles south of the Tarahumers, also had a hickory cult, and it is a curious and interesting fact that with them the plant has even the same name. Although the two tribes are neither related to nor connected with each other, the cults, too show many points of resemblance, though with the southern tribe the plant plays a far more important part in the tribal life, and its worship is much more elaborate. On the other hand, the Wycalls use only the species and variety shown in the illustration, while the Tarahumers have several. Major J.B. Pond, of New York, informs me that in Texas, during the Civil War, the so-called Texas Rangers, when taken prisoners and deprived of all other stimulating drinks, used mescal buttons or, white mule, as they called them. They soaked the plants in water and became intoxicated with the liquid. The plant, when taken, exhilarates the human system, and allays all feeling of hunger and thirst. It also produces color visions, when fresh. It has a nauseating, slightly sour taste, but it is wonderfully refreshing when one has been exposed to great fatigue. Not only does it do away with all exhaustion, but one feels actually pushed on. As I can testify from personal experience, in this respect it resembles the Peruvian coca, but unlike the latter, it leaves a certain depression, as well as a headache. Although an Indian feels as if drunk after eating a quantity of hickory, and the trees dance before his eyes, he maintains the balance of his body even better than under normal conditions, and he will walk along the edge of precipices without becoming dizzy, at their nocturnal feasts, when drinking heavily of both Tesvino and hickory. Many persons may be seen to awake and laugh alternately. Another marked effect of the plant is to take away temporarily all sexual desire. This fact, no doubt, is the reason why the Indians, by a curious and original mode of reasoning, impose abstinence from sexual intercourse as a necessary part of the Hickory cult. The effect of the plant is so much enjoyed by the Tarahumers that they attribute to it power to give health and long life and to purify body and soul. The little cacti either fresh or dried, are ground on the matapi, while being mixed with water, and this liquor is the usual form in which hickory is consumed. Hickory is also applied externally for snake bites, burns, wounds, and rheumatism, for these purposes it is chewed, or merely moistened in the mouth, and applied to the afflicted part. Not only does it cure disease, causing it to run off, but it also so strengthens the body that it can resist illness and is therefore much used in warding off sickness, though not given to the dead, since the dead are no longer in need of remedies. Hickory is always partaken of at the feasts of the dead. Moreover, Hickory is a powerful protector of its people under all circumstances, and it gives luck. If a man carries some Hickory in his belt, the bear cannot bite him and the deer cannot run away, but become quite tame and can easily be killed. Should he meet Apaches, Hickory would prevent them from firing off their guns at him. It gives luck in foot races and all kinds of games, in climbing trees, etc. Hickory is the great safeguard against witchcraft. It sees even better than the shamans, 
and it watches that nothing bad is put into the food. The Christian tar who wears, when they partake of hickory, think that the devil runs out of their stomachs. Hickory purifies any man who is willing to sacrifice a sheep and to make native beer. Their island, however, no remedy for a murderer, not even hickory can cure him. The Christian tarahuwares make the sign of the cross when coming into the presence of the plant, and I was told to lift my head to it. It is always saluted in the same way as a man, and is supposed to make the customary responses to the salutations. Hickory is not as great as Father Sunday but sits next to him. It is the brother of Chaudhyas, and the greatest Hickory is his twin brother, and is therefore called uncle. Sometimes these plants are dressed up in pieces of blankets, and cigarettes are placed before them. Boys must not touch hickory, and women only when they act as the shaman's assistants and have to grind it. As a matter of fact, only shamans can handle it properly, and even they wash their hands carefully, and sometimes elect not to touch it at all, making use of little sticks instead of their fingers. Certain shamans washed their hands and rinsed their mouths immediately after eating from my vessels, because hickory would be angry with them for eating strange food cooked by strange people. Hickory is not kept in the house, because it is extremely virtuous, and might become offended at the sight of anything immodest. It is placed in a special jar or basket, in a separate storehouse, and is never taken out until tesvino and meat have been offered to it. If this were neglected, it would eat the Indian's soul. If anything happens to Hickory for instance, if irreverent mice eat it the owner fears that he may be made crazy as a punishment for his failure to guard it. If anyone should steal Hickory, he would be sure to go crazy, unless he returned the plant to its original owner. He must also kill an ox and make a big feast, in order to set himself right again with the mighty God and with the people. After four years, Hickory grows old and moldy, and loses its virtues. It is then buried in a corner of the cave or the house, or taken to the place where it came from, and fresh plants are obtained instead. According to tradition, when Tadios went to heaven in the beginning of the world, he left Hickory behind as the great remedy of the people. Hickory has four faces and sees everything. Its power is well shown in the following myth. The bear in a cave said to Hickory, Let us fight and let us first smoke over there. They smoked and they fought. And Hickory was stronger than the bear. When Hickory threw the bear down, all the wind went out of the 